0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Sales Compensation Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. Our goal for Season 2 is to enable our listeners to make smarter decisions based on real-world data and behavioral psychology. Join us for more holistic conversations and discussion about sales compensation and sales force effectiveness that will improve the lives and careers of both current and future sales comp leaders. I'm your host, Nabil Alizam. Welcome to the first episode in Season 2 of the Sales Compensation Show. Today's guest is John Kappen, a Revenue Operations Leader at Genesis. Genesis is a leading software company specializing in customer experience and call center technology for mid-size and large businesses. He currently serves as a Senior Director of Strategy, Planning and Rewards, responsible for sales and marketing compensation design and strategic planning. John has over 12 years of experience in sales, and actually made the career switch from being a frontline seller himself into the world of sales comp and rev ops, which I think makes for some great insights on the show today. Join us as we delve into the world of sales competition, both now and in the future. You're in for a great discussion and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. John, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Excited to be here. You know, I feel like sales comp and frankly sales operations is one of those roles where no one ever starts, you know, there starts out as a child wanting to end up in one of these roles or at least knowingly so. So I'm curious how you got to the world of sales compensation, sales operations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea, though, of a child like being like a sales ops superhero, like The Incredibles or something. And he's just really good at every part of sales ops. That was definitely not me. Um, So I took a journey that was, I think, is getting more common. I started in sales and then after uh, halfway through my career thus far. So after like six or seven years, I switched over. But I started in entry level sales development rep, SDR, cold calling outbound role at a SaaS startup company, and then moved up through like inside sales rep, account manager, which was doing renewals and upsells and things like that. And I that. And then eventually account executive, and while I was at this this startup, they grew from like 40 to 50 people when I started to about a thousand over this time period. So it was great to see into a small to medium-sized company. And I was not sure what I wanted to do with my career. I liked sales a lot. I like being an account executive. The thought at the time I wanted to, to eventually be an executive at a software company, like longer term. And so I was looking at ways to do that. I wasn't sure I wanted to be like a CRO or a CSO. And so I was looking at going and getting an MBA, but ultimately decided that I didn't want to go that route, but did want to get some more well rounded experience. I actually did a lateral move to a new company that was willing to give me a shot in sales ops, sales finance role. And so that was really sort of a a good break for me and a way for me to leverage like my sales skill set and understanding to get into a new function within a software company. That's actually the same company I'm at today. I've been there for about six and a half years and I love it. And
0: it's a big move, right? Like the shift from sales to the operations side. I'm curious, as a seller, were you very process oriented?
1: It's a good question. I was extremely process oriented. I was like reading the playbooks, like memorizing everything, like spend way too much time, or just the right amount of time on account plans, things like that, you know, I really would put in a lot of effort into the planning, um, my activities, my output, like tracking my results. So it was very process oriented and analytical, even when I was a rep. I wasn't an above average rep, I would say though, even despite sort of like having some of those maybe stronger traits. There's a lot of the conversations around negotiation and sales process management and things like that that weren't as natural to me. So but yeah, I was very detail oriented, I would say, even as a rep.
0: Like I feel like in the profile, you're right. It's becoming a lot more common. When you see kind of sales ops, just that empathy that you have with the role and the profile, like what you're selling for. You see it more and more. But across the board, in almost all the cases, you tend to find individuals that have like a very process mindset. Like you have to have that kind of optimization mentality, I think, to kind of make that shift over. So, you know, it's funny. It's like once people at
1: my current company, so a couple of thoughts. One is definitely the empathy. Like, I do think that when I switched over into sales ops, having a deep understanding of what reps go through and deal with made me substantially better at my role and allowed me to bring fresh perspectives to a lot of operational meetings and things like that. So that was very helpful to have. And then the other thing that's been really interesting is you know, I'll meet rep. It seems like every three or four months, I meet a rep at an AE at my current company or at a different company who is likes being an AE, likes the job, likes being challenged, but is interested in trying something different. And once they hear that I made this switch, like a light goes off and they're like clinging to it and they ask me like a hundred questions on how I did it and what the challenges were and how much I'm making now versus <laughs> how much was I making then. And, and. A few of them have actually, you know, made the switch. Not because of me; they would have gotten there anyways. But it's—I
0: do think it's happening more and more. So it's kind of an interesting move. And so, you know, in the shift that you made, obviously, is more focused on the sales operations, sales planning side. Yeah. Now, sales comp happens to be very connected to that. I think that's—you kind of, know—you have discussed this, and I think there's a nominal that intersection. I'm curious throughout this journey and transition, where Sales Comp came into play, where you've experienced that? Yeah, no, great question. It's funny. So when I switched over, I started in like a
1: classic sales ops role. I supported the North America sales leader. I did that for a few years. And when you're doing that, like boots on the ground, sales ops, you're sort of, you're touching everything. You're touching sales forecasting, you're touching CRM management, touching pipeline hygiene, you're touching sales compensation and account disputes and quota setting. And comp plan d- webinars and details and things like that. So it started for me, actually, I would say I was like a user of sales compensation processes and systems and things like that, and I didn't really see the full picture or understand it. And then I switched into a role where I was managing the company's annual sales planning process, and that included the incentive compensation plan design and rollout. And, I think the two things, it's actually interesting. I actually no longer, my current company, focus on sales compensation. We actually brought in a a woman who has a ton of great experience in sales incentive compensation. She's worked at like 5 or 10 great software companies before and has led large teams there. And it's been really interesting because the two things are so tightly connected, sales planning and sales compensation, that she and I are like tied at the hip a lot of times. And so I guess my thought generally is for sales planning, you kind of have to when they think of sales planning, they think of like territory development and quota distribution. And that's it. And that's, to me, like really just one of like four major items. You know, you have to start with like planning to plan. So you have to like set your strategy, you have to align on your metrics. And this is where you need a incentive compensation individual in the room to understand what the companies and the sales team's strategic directions are. Number two is executing. So that's the that. territories and quotas and patch balancing and all of that, that is... Hugely important. The third is actually really interesting. It kind of gets overlooked at times and is deployment, in my opinion. So, like, that's something where good incentive compensation tool can really help there. So, helping AEs understand their territories, getting those quota sheets out, things like that. And then the fourth is maintenance and updating and sort of the iterative loop. But it's interesting at all phases of those, you need to have like an incentive compensation expert in the room. Otherwise, you go through all this planning and you get to the end of the cycle and you're totally
0: misaligned. I think the most common you know, setup that we've seen historically kind of that's created a lot of pain is that disconnect between strategy and execution in and, and this thing about sales planning, sales comp. I mean, a lot of the time sales comp can be seen as just an admin function when it's really, it's a very powerful lever at motivating the sales team. And if you don't get it right, then it's hard to align to your point, like the, the sales. Having that sales comp leader in the room and understanding the strategy will then downstream better align incentives. I, I'm curious, is your perspective influenced because you were a rep and like you felt the incentives firsthand or I'm definitely jaded?
1: I had this funny story very early on in my career. There are these two reps. I'm going to be a little bit vague because I don't want to get into it, but these two reps who worked similar types of accounts. that have covered large global accounts. They both did pretty good job against their core metrics. One of them happened to sell like a really large amount of professional services, which wasn't really core to the company strategy or core to the comp design, but there was a poorly designed comp plan that made the rep that did that earn a lot more than their peer who had, you know, most other metrics and by definitely strategic metrics was pretty much in line. And I remember like, you know, the rep who earned the windfall, as we call it, you know, was sort of shocked and like didn't understand. The other rep was very frustrated. And it's interesting. I think I going through those types of experiences, you sort of understand the importance, not just of well-written or well-designed comp plans, but just like, you know, the comp plan at the end of the day has such a big impact on people's behavior. And, and it's not always just the impact of, oh, I'm being paid to do this. So now I'm going to focus on that. It's like, it's how well do people understand their comp plan? Is it like digestible? Do they feel like it was set up in a way that took their feedback into account? I would say big motivational impacts of well-run comp plan and compensation planning cycle that can be really beneficial to people.
0: One hundred percent. I mean, I think the number like is the comp plan tied to like the value creating aspects of the business. I think like if you're able to pay on what creates a valuation increase for the business at a high level, yeah, that's a perfectly aligned comp plan. And. Definitely, that's the nirvana, but it's you
1: can't always get there. Like you can't measure reps on margin all the time. You know, in some cases, yeah. you can't measure it on their like discounting tendencies. I mean, there's ways to do that, but it gets really complicated. So it's always this fine line of aligning the compensation strategy, to the company strategy, and aligning those incentives. And you never want to create disincentives, you know, or things like that. But also having it be manageable and having it be consistent up year to year where a rep knows that the work they're putting in this year will result in earnings for them next year. Because you know another sort of horror story or things that I see a lot of is our companies that shift yearly, their core compensation metrics, like especially the tech industry right now is going through a big shift away from the growth at all costs to profitable growth and with maybe a more realistic or lower growth expectation. And so... Comp plans are naturally changing as a result of that, but you're dramatically shifting a core metric sort of leaves a lot of reps with a pretty bad taste in their mouth. When Feb 1 or Jan 1 comes around and they're seeing the new comp plan and and all the work they've been doing for the last six months doesn't convert.
0: It's interesting because, you know, the one thing I was gonna say to your opponent around like disincentives is a plan almost has like a stagnation period, right? Like if you think about, okay, margin, one of the reasons why it's difficult is maybe you can't measure and you don't have the data. But if you can check that off and you roll out a plan on margin, sometimes it's very difficult to get to that nirvana state where the incentives are perfectly aligned to the business strategy. One, because the business strategy is always a little bit within a quarter, we have a very good idea of what we need to do. Within three years, it's a little bit hazy. And so the longer the plan stagnates, the less of a confidence that we're going to have that it's going to actually be. It's not going to generate some bad behaviors. One, two. The longer the reps have an idea of how the plan works, the mm-hmm. more that they can be creative in gaming the plan oh, and yeah. And so, the question is always, you know, how do you kind of keep incentives aligned with strategy and self-planning without making such drastic shifts? And it's interesting because, like, when you have obviously we are seeing that, right? Like, there are more drastic shifts that are happening in cop plans because the markets have shifted so drastically. When you see that happening, it's because we either waited too long and now it's so bad that you have to course correct, or you know, in some cases it's the plans are being designed without the analytics to kind of feed the right design insight. And so we're having to kind of just almost guess and back, go back and forth until we find something that works. And in either case, you don't want to be in that position. You kind of want to be, you want to ride this fine line of making tweaks. So I'm curious, like, how do you do that carefully enough that you don't disengage the reps? It's a
1: great question. I mean, one that is really common right now is companies are trying to grow more profitably. They're looking at channels or sales motions that have lower acquisition costs. And so a lot of them are naturally gravitating towards expanding on their current customer base or cross-selling into their current customer base as opposed to acquiring new logos. And there's so many different ways to do that. You can do it organizationally. You can set up a team that of AEs that goes after just your customer base and doesn't have blended territories of new logos and things like that. You can set up a new role. So you don't maybe not even an account executive, maybe you introduce the idea of an account manager or CSM or something like that that goes after it. You can incentivize other functions, you can incentivize like a customer success organization to be tied to that metric, or you can start playing with comp levers. And what I've noticed is companies sometimes try all those things at once, which you, like, you don't necessarily need to do. Like You don't need a comp plan. If you have an AE focused just on customer install base, you may not need dramatic levers within your comp plan to get them focused on that motion. The other thing that I've noticed is I think some of those other shifts like organizational shifts or developing new roles or aligning cross-functionally, those are really hard. You know, they can take months to do. And the comp plan seems like an easy button a lot of the time, but it really isn't like there is a lot of hidden costs that come up with changing your comp plan late in the planning cycle or changing it every six months or things like that. So it's not an easy question, but it's like kind of what you said earlier, like the biggest disconnect comes from
0: you know, comp plans that aren't aligned to the strategy. So just to kind of think about a provocative statement here, what's your take on individualized comp?
1: So, by individualized comp do you mean an individual employee having a comp plan that is entirely tied to them versus a team goal or are you talking about every individual having different metrics and mechanics and things like
0: that i'm talking a bit about the latter i think most organizations will tailor the targets in kind of based on the territory and the customer base kind of if if, if you have the data and the sophistication in your pro planning process i think it's more the metrics and the kpis at a rep level and, and let me preface this with where you know, why I'm asking your perspective yeah. on this. So I agree full stop, but there is a cost to changing cost. When you make a drastic change, we're changing metrics from one metric. We're now pivoting all the way. But when you actually look at one of the big pains that comes out is that we don't have an even impact across every rep. When we're doing that big shift, I have a top performer that has been planning their territory for 18 months ahead of time based off of a key set of metrics and i go and i shift the metric and i'm going to impact them a lot more than that bottom performer where the shift in the metric is ultimately the person that i'm targeting because they're not doing the right things ahead of time and so what we typically see is you know the kind of this disruption there's two parts the disruption is the impact is not e- is not equitable across the board and the second part is that the change management which i think you touched a little bit on like the training and educating making sure someone understands their plan is critical so if we could solve those two, does individualized metrics, now they preface those, yeah. those kind of simple challenges. Like, what's your take on going completely the polar opposite and being like, forget up the one size fits all plan, individualized KPIs metrics at a rep level. It's interesting. I've never been asked that question. Before. I guess
1: my natural instinct is companies that are, I think, pretty mature in their incentive compensation build out roles and build out and have more roles than just you know, enterprise AE and mid-market AE. They may have like six or seven or eight different roles across AEs that are based on their experience level, their the patches that they cover, the geographies they're in, things like that. And we'll have custom mechanics, so metrics, weightings, accelerators, things like that tied to those roles. To me, that seems like a, a better or more a realistic approach than having varying mechanics. So maybe one rep is measured on ECV, the other one's on revenue, another one's on number of new logos booked, or things like that, like changing those core metrics and mechanics on a per person basis, I think would definitely have some benefits. But I think there would be a really large human cost to it where I think reps would start maybe doing the math on Wow, if I had Bobby's comp plan, I'd be making twice as much as I do now, why is his so much different than mine? So I think there's a trade-off and maybe you can get to good middle ground with the you know, many more slices of roles or profiles, but I don't know. I mean, it could be where the future. I can immediately think of a number of individuals and in my organization should have an individualized compliment. like because the situation they're in is so different from
0: every other AE around them. And I know this is kind of I've, more abstract and theoretical, but I think you look across the world that we live in, whether we pull up a social media app where there's the news feed is literally tailored to everything that you do you now we're kind of in this world of like the next phase of media entertainment video games is going to be dynamically built based off of your preferences and I think we live in our individualized world more and more and more or individualized tailoring of whatever interaction that we're having and yet you know sales comp I think there's because it's comp it's kind of a sensitive subject right like yeah, You could argue in marketing, we already have done that. ABM is very, you know, account-based marketing. you tailoring yeah. best and kind of individualizing the experience based off of a bunch of parameters. But in sales comp, because it's comp, it's kind of the subject, it's politically charged. No one wants to talk about comp, which I think is one of the biggest downsides of communicating a plan is sales leaders will talk about it for a week and they don't want yeah. to talk about it because it's comp. So if we can get over that hurdle, like, is there a future where, we can generate much more output by tailoring the incentives. I think I can tell a little bit where you're leading on this, but I do want to hear you
1: explicitly say it as well. But as I think about it more, I mean, if we were more comfortable with failing, I think around comp plans and having, or maybe not comfortable failing, but comfortable with getting it wrong in an annual planning process and being in. And if the employee and the company have a path towards adjusting that, then I think the individualized route becomes a lot more realistic and a lot more beneficial. It's kind of what you said, like, if we rolled out individual comp plans, and we get 30% of them dramatically wrong, that's really not stomachable for a large corporation. And so part of it is, I think there's a lot of stigma, like you said, a lot of, you know, more and more sort of legal impacts, especially outside the US uh, around compensation, that sometimes it gets hard for people to be flexible with it. And so, but if we could navigate those waters, I think it would be really interesting.
0: Yeah, You touched on like two very important. I 100% agree. It's what's the percentage of failure rate. And this is the interesting part is you almost have to reinvent the planning cycle. Because you, know, you think about it like, and I know, again, I'm going to use the analogy here in marketing, yeah. you know, in the sales ops, drive ops, umbrella. So you got to send it. But like, when you think about ABM, we don't think about ABM within the planning cycle of a year. ABM yeah. crosses and transcends. It actually aligns with the customer's buying journey and the customer's experience. And so does individualized comp in the future? If hypothetically that path becomes a viable future, I think you almost have to move away from an annual planning cycle. Like your annual planning cycle becomes yeah. the strategy and the framework you use, but right. the way that the reps are incentivized may not necessarily be tied to that. You brought up a very very valid point, though. I do think that things that need to be solved are things like okay, you have one rep that's measured like you can- that is very difficult. One rep message on ACB, one message on net new customers. I mean, they could be looking back and forth, and saying, "Well, if I hadn't paid on this plan, I would have made more money yeah, yeah. and so you have to solve that so a little bit of a thought experiment, but I think in your position of kind of seeing both sitting on the sales planning and the and kind of having owned and, and seen the sales comp side, I mean, I think you could you could take it even a step
1: further, the thought experiment of you know, will we even you know need salespeople with incentive compensation plans like it's sort of the other end of the spectrum, like the hyper personalized or there's like would it be better for customers, for prospects, for even like sales reps themselves to shift away from an incentive comp model? And I don't think we're anywhere near that. But I know you know that that would sort of be an, an alternative thought
0: experiment. I mean, it's interesting because whenever I answer this question, I'm like, there's obviously a lot of bias that I have. I've you and I both. space. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, both of us. Yeah. I and mean, it's like I'd be out of a job pretty quickly. Yeah. But I think there's two elements to that. Like, answer that question. I, I think sales comp. NAT like if you're going to shift away from sales comp, then you need to look at a different risk profile for the job. And what I mean by that is the risk in sales is high. I mean, you know, for Santa, right, like it's one of those jobs where I mean, you can make a little bit of a mistake in your planning and then and then oh, I sent out the spreadsheet with the wrong numbers, let me course correct it. I mean, obviously there's some great mistakes you can make if if yeah. you know in sales comp as well, you can make some really bad mistakes. You want to be accurate, but in sales Every interaction is a moment where if you don't get it right, you lose that pipeline opportunity. And so it's a high risk, high reward type of game. And the profiles, I truly believe the harder the sale, the profiles that are the ones that are going to be the most apt to do that job tend to be ones that are going to chase the high reward, high risk type of scenario where, and so that's kind of where the variable comp comes in.
1: But. There's also just, it would be a huge risk for any company to take. Also, yeah. so like, I'll be interested to see when, if companies start testing it, you know, obviously, like, B2C gets a lot easier, the higher the volume and the lower the interaction value sort of becomes more, theoretically, more easier to understand, be really large risk for sort of any, been in the software space from my career, you know, any software company
0: try to take on, so. Again, all of this is around, you know, the experimentation and the cycles and how fast we can learn, which back to kind of the thought experiment becomes a faster and faster cycle that you can do if you're able to do that. Obviously, there's a lot of things that have to be done right. But, you know, I, I think there's just this, all these things that we're potentially missed out on. Like, if you think about incentivizing differently based off of what stage the prospect is in the pipeline and how long they are in each stage. Like, if you have a deal that's sitting in stage five, like stage five, but it's not closing, it's not moving, it's dragging on. At some point, we may want to use incentives. Like imagine if one day you're a rep and you're like, you get notified. If you don't close this in the next two weeks, your commission rate drops by 50%. And if you do close in the next two weeks, we're going to give you a 20% kicker. But at least then you're basically getting the reps. And I don't know about like you that, that process of pipeline cleanup, you know, process of having sales management, make sure that the reps are focusing the right opportunities and not focusing on things that they shouldn't be focusing on. And we don't use incentives to do that today, but again, visionary, like future world, can you get there and what it would take? It's an interesting thought. Yeah, it definitely is. I'll have to
1: send it to you. And I don't recall the details right now, but there was a Harvard Business Review study years ago on sales incentive compensation. And they came up with this really complex matrix of like sales close times and discount rates and basically like, the shorter the sales close time and the lower the effective discount rate, you know, it would increase the incentives that were earned. But it was really hard for reps in the study to balance it with actually like winning the deal. So, like, because if you over rotate that way, like you're just losing more deals if you're rushing the, the prospect and you're not discounting. And so I know
0: there had been some studies on trying to balance those things, but yeah, it's yeah. really, it is pretty interesting. There's a lot of work to be done. Back to your point on the sales planning and sales con- connectivity, yeah. I don't think any of this is possible without having a very good tie to your sales yeah. motion and your go-to-market strategy. Because yeah. even in that situation, like you're spot on, it's like you have to be very confident that the activities and, and the measures that you're using actually correlate with a better outcome. Otherwise, there's no point putting incentive behind it. Yeah. And that evolution has to happen. I mean, so I'm curious from your perspective. like, like what are the biggest challenges that you see? to the connectivity of sales planning and sales comp within organizations? Good question. I think there's a
1: few things that immediately come to mind. One is like thoughtful planning takes time. And when I say thoughtful planning, I mean territory and quota development takes a few weeks. You know, it takes a few weeks to balance patches. Um, you know, if, you, if you're a really small company, and um, hopefully we'll talk about this a little bit later, you know, mature company growth and how that impacts planning and comp design. but when you're a small company, you can sort of do it in a shortened cycle. But once you start getting, you know, to hundreds of territories that you're planning for, you're now working with 30, 40, 50, 60 sales managers, you're having to get managers, managers, managers approvals, like all these things take time. And and I think some of the biggest challenges I've seen is when there's this thought of like, okay, we here's the company strategy now, planning, you go and do the Build the hiring plan, balance the territories, distribute the quota. Sales comp, you're over here. You're going to do your survey and your, you know, collect your stakeholder feedback, and you're gonna uh, start doing biweekly executive reviews on all the comp plan measurements. Mm-hmm. And like they're going down in a silo because you get to the end of the process, and inevitably, like you know, a patch. You know, we have a new logo, North America account executive team that has no comp plan for it, or things like that. So part of it is just staying aligned. I also think there's pretty high risk for executive or stakeholder. I want to be careful with my words, like misunderstanding and poor decision making in both areas. Like it's really easy for a sales executive to make a substantial change in their sales org structure or in their sales comp plan. And I think good incentive compensation leaders help their sales executives or their executive staff understand sort of the pros and cons of different comp levered decisions and think through how a comp plan will help them in the immediate future without being too disruptive and so i think maybe some of the bigger challenges i've seen is when you're doing planning and that in the sales incentive comp person isn't in the room to talk about the costs of a change or when they an incentive comp expert doesn't have, is forced within a one-hour meeting to like decide on within a sales executive on 15 different comp levers. Like that's sort of a worst case scenario because there's inevitably things that contradict the strategy or that you're not um, thinking
0: through. I think that point is so spot on. Like it's actually been a recurring theme that I'm, I'm seeing, like talking to sales comp leaders and revop leaders within organizations that you need to have the sales comp team or at least you know, kind of the leadership of that team at the strategy table. Because to your point, as a sales leader, you have all these different pillars that need to cohesively work to get to that outcome and that strategy. And you neglect any one part. They're so connected that if you don't have that all moving at the same time when you're deploying any strategy, you either think about the call plan too late. We don't deploy it in time. We don't have the data. It's not connected to the quota setting Like There's just these very complex pieces that have to move synchronously. Yeah. And I think very difficult to do if you don't have like the key kind of steer co, which would include kind of the RevOps sales call and so forth.
1: And I think the, I totally agree with you. Not having them at the table is, is challenging or not being able to, you're know, trying to concentrate a, a sales incentive comp planning process into two weeks is just, brutal. I mean, if you're a CRO, like you're getting hit from 10 different angles with like very substantial challenges right now. Like you have to maintain your sales and marketing to OPEX ratio. You have to sustain a 20, 10 to 20 to 30% growth rate. You have to launch new products into your install base. You can't lose the, the market share. You have to maintain good relationships with analysts. Like you're all these things are hitting you and comp plan can help you with all five of those things I just listed, but you can't do it all. Like you can't have a comp plan that solves all those things. And so it's really hard when a company is trying to use the comp plan to solve one or two and they're competing with the other. So I, I agree with you. I mean, there's a balance also between, you don't, you can't spend three months planning, you know, like things change it's in three months, but you can't spend a week
0: also. So somewhere in the middle. It's a tough job. It's a tough space to be in, but it's a very rewarding, right? Like You get to encounter all these different parts of the business yeah. and solve these really great problems. But there's not like a, you know, talk about the wonder kid. We don't see that because there's not that many resources. It's not something you kind of learn today out of like just reading a book and you got it. It's like, yeah. It's very much an apprenticeship. so with experience. And so, yeah, thank you for joining and kind of giving back to the community. I guess, is there anything else that you'd want to share? I would like to ask you a question. I mean, if that's all right. One of the things that
1: works, that's really top of mind for me right now is I'm seeing like, as companies get up the maturity curve, they sort of start to blur the lines between functions of responsibility. So historically, you know, you have like a marketing team that brought in the lead or the opportunity or whatever, and then you have the sales team that brought it through the funnel, and then you hand it off to a CSM team and Really, I think those things are changing, like account management is obviously more and more popular right now, where roles are blended across sales and customer success. You know, I've been a little sheltered, honestly, in my career of really focusing on sales organizations. And I've done the marketing piece as well, like marketing business development reps and things like that. But how are you seeing different functions, specifically marketing, sales, and maybe customer success, sort of evolve their sales compensation strategies, process, focus. Like to me, sales people, are sales orgs are always super focused on this, but for marketing and CSS or
0: CSM, it can be more of an afterthought. Like what are you seeing there? How's that changing? I would say, yeah, it does depend across the industry that you're targeting. I'll say that with a caveat that technology and the way that technology sales is applying is starting to creep into all kinds of industries. Just something to call out as I answer this question is, even think about like med products or you know something which is a very tactical i'm selling into a service, you service know, it's actually a physical product but now these devices are now wi-fi connected and there's a services sale and so you know, it's an example of now there's a services component a software service that's being sold as a part of it and so now you need that csm type of role in the function and so i think across the board we're seeing more and more kind of a, the normalization of the sales roles and the sales functions. That's one element. So I talk about kind of these industries whether it's insurance, whether it's sales, like you're starting to see more and more of the shift, obviously insurance being much further away from tech versus kind of med products and some of the other distribution type businesses. That's one element of change that we see. The second part that's interesting is we are seeing more marketing roles that are starting kind of from a measures and metrics perspective that are being measured more in the kind of later stage pipeline creation numbers than historically. Per se, right, and, and you think about it is blending the lines because when does ABM stop and when does the sales process take over? Yeah, and I would describe that journey if we go back, yeah, you know, fifty years ago, and you think about the selling role back then. You took your product, whether it's a physical good, I and mean, most of the time it's physical good. It's not going to be yeah. a digital service, and you are driving around and meeting with your prospects. You know the product; you are the specialist you educate the customer, the resources that they have to learn about that product are so limited, you could be the expert coming to them and educating them. And and that was a very different, like you basically took the entire life cycle from marketing to close as a sales professional. And what are we seeing now is that marketing takes more and more of the upstream. So you're starting to see that sales is really like the profile and the role is becoming so specialized. Like an accounting executive today, cannot demo the product fully to the level that and the sales engineers, you know, solutions architect can. And it's for a good reason because there is specialization access to knowledge is so pervasive that you have to focus. Otherwise you actually lose. And so naturally we are seeing this kind of blend and you're seeing roles cross you know, for example it's like where's business development sit? Is it marketing? Yeah. Is it sales, and, and we kind of see a blended mix of that. Totally, it's funny
1: thinking of like the Willie Loman or the guy who started McDonald's going around with his little devices versus now our buyers, you know, getting 80% of the way through the sales cycle themselves online. It's like exactly, yeah, couldn't be more yeah. different.
0: Yeah, hmm. you know, would love to get your input on if there's any resources that you'd recommend or you know things that you think would be very helpful for other professionals that are growing in the space? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I think there's a lot going on. I think, you know, there's obviously companies like yourselves are seeing a value in sort of putting like-minded communities together and doing it in ways that aren't sort of product focused. I think taking advantage of that and using that to build a network is hugely valuable and free right now. It's really important to me, at least to know five to 10 other sales incentive or sales ops people who work at other companies who may be further along in their company maturity curve or further behind than where you are. But knowing people across industries, across company sizes, across sales or incentive comp, Maturity curves and maintaining those relationships, I think, would probably be the best resource for me. I know that there's like different management consulting companies that do a really good job of having materials for incentive compensation or sales ops, but you know, a lot of that stuff is hard to access, or you have to go and spend three days at a symposium or a conference or something. I actually think just being able to build a network and being able to talk to people. I know there's a lot of Slack groups popping up of sales ops individuals. Some of them are regionalized. Like I'm in one that is related to New England because I just moved to New. England. And so, you know, taking advantage of those groups, I think is another great resource out there.
0: I don't know. What do you think? Are there others that I'm missing? No, I agree. It really is an apprenticeship model. And I say that because where I learned the most was sitting right beside that other consultant that's done 20 engagements prior to this one that looked exactly like this and and learning from them. When I left consulting and, and worked directly in sales comp, I think just talking to other sales comp leaders is something where you learn far greater from making mistakes than just reading from a textbook and if you can learn from other people's mistakes mistakes or wins right like knowing what to do and what has worked and what hasn't worked and in some cases you need to solve that and figure it out for yourself because it's very tailored to your problem and your business but in other cases there are common themes and common frameworks that you can apply and the more that we can accelerate as a collective you know the way that we see it is if all of sales comp and sales ops becomes more sophisticated and becomes a better enabler for organizations the more platforms like Forma become a requirement because that's kind of the table stakes. And so it's an investment in making the field overall better. And I think the community side is definitely, it's a key pillar. I think building a network of peers that you can learn from, mentors that you can learn from that aren't necessarily in your organization. And even sometimes not even in the field. I think sometimes you can learn a lot from seeing what other fields are doing. You know, like consumption brace pricing is an example in tech. and yeah. Well, I mean, like you can lead on other industries that have similar type of models where you can kind of get that insight. So I really think that that's certainly a powerful resource. There's some kind of staple. There are some books out there that kind of been kind of the fundamentals. But again, that's going to give you a baseline, I think, to, re- to really scale. I would agree with your sentiment. So one final question, I guess, if other professionals in the space wanted to reach out, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah. LinkedIn at the risk
1: of plugging them too hard. LinkedIn's the best way. Anyone in the New England area or even anywhere across the country in the US, if they want to join our Slack group, just message me on LinkedIn. I'll get them added. And yeah, look forward to joining more of these discussions. And I was so happy you and I got connected through a symposium that former hosted no cost, which I really appreciate. So hope to see people out there as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining, John. Really insightful conversation. Great. Thanks, Emil. Talk to you soon. The sales competition show is brought to you by Forma AI, the first sales competition platform designed around the agile methodology of CompOps. To learn more about how Forma AI can help design, execute, and optimize your sales comp strategy, visit Forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales competition on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. On behalf of the team here at Forma AI, thanks for listening.